Welcome to the Present and Sober podcast with your hosts, Sam Goldfinch and Ellie Crow. If you want to make your life bigger, not smaller, then this is the podcast for you. If you can sense that you're destined for more and you're curious about how drinking could be holding you back, listen in and come on this journey with us. Through the interplay of mind and body practices, we will help you elevate your daily life and discover the wonder and potential of going alcohol free. Let's make life bigger together. Many people are finding out about ADHD from TikTok, for example. Yeah. And there was a recent study which suggested that about 50% of the content on there about ADHD is incorrect in okay. some way. Hey, everybody. Right, this is one of the most requested podcast episodes that we've we've ever had. We're going to have a discussion around ADHD. And to do that, I've got Professor James Brown on the show. Now, many of you will know um, I have a diagnosis for ADHD. I've spoken about my journey with it, but there's certain things I haven't spoken about because I wanted to have the right person, an expert, basically, um, with a very good understanding of the landscape uh, to come on the show. Now, James is really passionate about that. this. He does a lot of charity work. He has ADHD himself. So not only does he have a scientific understanding of what's happening, he's also got his personal experience to talk from as well, which is, you know, incredibly powerful. So, hey, we're going to talk about what ADHD is, what it isn't, the stigma. Many of you will be have all sorts of ideas in your head that have been put in there by the media, perhaps as late, you know, even from the 80s and the 90s, a lot of the ideas are still hanging around. Um, there's, there's a lot of information being put out on TikTok, on social media at the moment, and a lot of it is just wrong. Um, and so we really wanted to put something powerful and, um, yeah, out there. So, hey, there's not much else to say. Uh, I'm going to give James an introduction as, as the show starts and give you a little bit more info about him. But um, yeah, really glad this is happening and um, awesome. If uh, if you want any more information or anything about this, get in the Facebook group, send us an email and uh, yeah, we'll get back to you. All right. Without further ado, I'll hand you over to me and James. See you there. Right. Okay. This is super exciting. This has been in the kind of works for a long time and uh, I've got Professor James Brown with me and um Many of you have heard me talking about ADHD over the past few months and probably the past year or so uh, and how it's impacted my life. But I wanted to wait for the right person to come on who really is an expert in their field, who understands a lot of the the truths and the kind of a lot of the misunderstandings that are out there as well. And, and that's most certainly you, sir. So thank you for coming on <laughs> and uh, sharing your time. That's my pleasure, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, awesome. So James is, well, he's got one awesome podcast, the ADHD Adults Podcast, which is doing incredibly well with his wife and friend. And um, it's a it's a great laugh. So make sure you tune in if you haven't checked it out. You're also um, doing a lot of great work with, uh, you're the board of the ch a charity, right? The ADHD, uh, hang on, let me get it right. ADHD Adult UK. Is that the correct name for the charity? It is. It is yeah. We set that up before the podcast. The idea was, well, we'll talk about this later. We just, there was nothing out there. So yeah, so yeah. We, just, we set up a charity. Awesome. And I know you're doing a load of awesome stuff to do around, uh, you know, raising awareness and kind of talking to policy makers and that kind of stuff, which is super important because ultimately this stuff isn't going to change unless there's people like mm -hmm. you doing that. So um, true. So yeah, I first came across you a couple of months <laughs> back. I came to see you talk in Liverpool. Uh, and just as a build up to that was quite, my brother actually found out about the talk. Uh, he sent me a message and said, Hey, do you want to come and see this? Cause you know, he's exploring, exploring a lot around this journey as well. And I was like, yeah, man, awesome. We'll get some tickets for this. Anyway, fast forward a little, a few weeks, I get a text saying, hey, man, are you coming to this ADHD thing? I'm like, yeah, dude, like, no worries. Like, I'll get the tickets. It's sometime. I didn't say like it's sometime next week, but yeah, we'll be there. Anyway, the next week when we get there, it turns out that he had literally sent me that message from outside of the, where it was being held a week early, assuming that that's when it was, 
literally asking me if I was coming along, which if you know anything about ADHD is quite a brilliant setup for for this. But it, re- uh, it, re- it really is. I mean, I, I'm giving these talks and I've booked trains on the wrong day, the wrong month, hotels in the wrong city, spent hours researching a city where I'm giving a talk, but it's the wrong city. So the, the talk in Bath, I researched hotels in Bristol for. So yeah, it's completely understandable. Yeah. Well, and I mean, that's a great sort of um, platform for us to have this chat, man. The, there's so much misunderstanding. There's so much mm. stigma. There's so much, the media have not, in some ways, I guess have been helpful and in other ways have been not very helpful. So the the main frame for this I would that I would love to explore with you is to begin with anyway, what ADHD is and what it isn't. And um, I know that you, you know, you know a lot about that. So please do share with us. It's it's actually I'm 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 so glad you've asked because it's a really, really important subject. So ADHD stands for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. It's a rubbish name. And it is far more prevalent than people expect or think. So it, it only became a thing in about 2008. Prior to that, as an adult, you wouldn't get a diagnosis of ADHD. It was thought to be, and we'll cover this in a second, a childhood disorder. But ADHD is a lifelong neurodevelopmental disorder. What that means is that the brain of, of somebody with ADHD develops a little bit differently and develops a little bit more slowly. Mm-hmm. And that means that when we either get diagnosed as children or when we're adults, the parts of the brain that are involved with attention, what we call inhibitions, that's stopping yourself from either moving or, or saying things and emotion, they don't work as they do in a non-ADHD brain. And what that means is that diagnostically, there are two sides to ADHD, which is why the name is it mentions attention and hyperactivity. So the attention side, um, if you look at the nine diagnostic symptoms, it's things like being poorly organized, frequently forgetting things, struggling to, you know, to pay attention in a conversation, struggling to engage with tasks. All of these things are related to our brains, reduced ability to pay attention on what we want to. And that's why the name's unhelpful because attention deficit in, in the real world, deficit normally means reduction. Now, medically deficit also means impairment. We don't have less attention. We can have more, you know, we can hyper-focus. I once spent 10 hours hyper-focusing on something, didn't go to the toilet, didn't drink, didn't hear my wife talking to me because I was so laser focused on something, you know, to the point that we don't self-care. So it's not really about having less attention. It's about not being able to, to pick and choose what we pay attention to. And then the hyperactivity side of things, again, it's not a great name because most adults aren't externally hyperactive. I am, struggle to sit down. So this is my brain screaming, get up and walk around. (laughs) Um, But it's more, it's often more about that internal restlessness, that, that inability to, to control impulses and to say things. So, so interrupting a conversation when it's not your term, your your turn, et cetera. Those are the diagnostic symptoms, but there's a lot of other stuff that comes with ADHD. So most of us have something called rejection sensitivity. And that means if we if we get ignored or or, or, or criticized, or even if we think we're going to be ignored or criticized, it really hurts. It's like being slapped on the back when you've got sunburn. It's it's such a sting, and that can lead us to, you know, to withdraw from situations or to become a people pleaser, which is what I did. Yeah. And then if you remember, I, I talked about the three things our brain do differently: attention. Uh, inhibition and emotion our emotional regulation tends to be off and that means we can underreact or overreact to a number of different things which then causes massive problems in relationships because if uh, your partner has a really big issue they want to talk about but you, you just don't react to it 
they'll think you're you know underplaying it equally a little thing which you completely explode about then becomes well you know why is this an argument so it is it's a disorder that lasts throughout our lives it, it's easily treated it's massively underdiagnosed 2.5 percent of adults have it and probably 90 percent of those don't know they've got it sure and therefore it's about time we started kind of getting the word out there which is now happening so people can hopefully lead a better life once diagnosed yeah one thing that really stood out to me during that talk was when you when you said you know a lot of the stuff on the diagnostic is actually a lot of the stuff that's really difficult isn't actually on there so the rejection sensitivity mm. for example and the kind of a lot of the emotional stuff it isn't necessarily picked up and i think i adhd is a bit it's a bit odd in that sometimes it's kind of like they're kind of it has opposites in there right so you might find mm. that someone can hyper focus and that was definitely me like so during lockdown this was one of the big things that i found was when i went into my coaching business full time robin my partner she'd come home and i'd be in the same place i like in a tunnel mm. and it would almost be like i couldn't hear her yeah. I wouldn't, like you say, I wouldn't eat, yeah. wouldn't sleep. And it was like being, I just couldn't stop until I basically got to a point of, it would always be one more thing. And for me, it's like graphic design or anything like that. I get sucked into a hole. Um, and yeah, it's really curious. And at the same time that like, I walk Robin to work and it's kind of, you know, the old joke <laughs> about like, you know, um, attention deficit, hyperactive, oh, a squirrel. Like that's yeah. kind of what I would be like. It'd be sort of like zoning in on dogs over there and that over there. And she's like, are you listening? I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah. Hang on, say that again kind of thing. So yeah, I think people are going to have a just mixed messages at this point about what it really is. They they are. And that's, that's why it's, I'm so happy to come on this podcast. That's why it's so important that good information gets out there because there are, really persistent and damaging myths mm. which still circulate and even some healthcare professionals kind of still believe these myths things like it's it's a disorder of young boys mm-hmm. you know like i say in well 2008 was when adhd could be diagnosed in adults but there was a there was a poll of psychiatrists in the british medical journal in 2010 and it asked the question is adults adhd a real thing mm. this is just 12 years ago yeah. and the majority of psychiatrists voted no it's not so you know that gives you an indication of of the of the level and depth of these myths you know the fact that it's just small boys no it's not it's it's also girls obviously as children but because they internalize their symptoms they don't get spotted the tests were set up to pick up adhd in small boys so there's there's a bias there you know it's not generally accepted that adults have it so people tend to think now it's a trendy bandwagon that's the latest one is oh it's just a trendy bandwagon you know celebrities are getting diagnosed so we want to be like them well it's a rubbish bandwagon to be honest because it can take years to get diagnosed and all you get some really weak speed to treat it if you're lucky (laughs) yeah and and you know i think other things like if you've got a good job or you've got a good education you can't have adhd if you sat still during your meeting with the gp you can't have adhd they're just mm. not true but the damage they do is is kind of twofold one it stops people from getting a diagnosis because they often think oh actually you know yeah you know i'm a grown adult i've got a good job therefore i haven't got adhd mm-hmm. and two it often invalidates the diagnosis of people who've just been diagnosed because if you've just been diagnosed and then people start saying to you oh yeah but that's really trendy at the minute or i thought that was just small boys people genuinely and we hear this all the time in the charity people think they've tricked the psychiatrist People start to question their diagnosis because they think, oh, I'm not, I haven't got all those things. That doesn't apply to me. And, and mm. these myths, therefore, are really pernicious. Yeah, I am. Um, I worked in, in special educational needs for a long time. And there was this saying, you know, if you've met one child with autism, you've met one child with autism. And I think yeah. it really, we, it's kind of 
very applicable to ADHD as well, because for me, it is. I was always pretty um, intelligent. Like I, in terms of the kind of like traditional sense of, you know, doing okay in school. And I would, I didn't like mess up my uh, kind of like spelling tests and stuff like that. Mm. Um, however, if you look at me, try, if you come into my house and watch me trying to make a cup of tea, it will often take me an hour because I'll forget that I turn the kettle on, then I'll forget that I put the water in, then it will be whole, cold, so it goes in the microwave, and then I give up. and then So it's like this strange kind of... And people... Yeah. I mean, I had sort of OCD very strong when I was a teenager as well. So I had this strange, almost like um, the anxiety coming from the OCD made me incredibly mm. organized. So I would be super early, overly anxious, plans and things everywhere because of the fear of getting something wrong or but yeah. at the same time i had the kind of emotional stuff in and around adhd underneath it and no one picked it up it was the 90s like no one ever said anything to me um and it's, i think it's really horrible as well because i know that when i spoke to my mom about it i could see on her face and she may be listening to this like oh my god what have i done wrong and i think that's another one is that a lot of parents think it's their it fault is. i mean and it's it not. is and that that's one of the most damaging myths is that ADHD is caused by bad parenting. Yeah. What you often find is even as I was 45 when I was diagnosed mm -hmm. and mentioned it to my parents, I didn't get much of a response. But again, we hear from lots of people who either at the start of that journey of, I think I might have ADHD or when they get diagnosed, their parents will just say, no, I don't think that's true. Mm. Because obviously they have heard for years, these myths from largely the eighties that ADHD is due to bad parenting. And they'll think, well, I wasn't a bad parent. I parented you well. I didn't do anything wrong. And no, they didn't because it's nothing to do with bad parenting. And therefore, again, it's one of those myths that really damages the community of ADHD people. Got it. So before we dive a bit further into some of those other kind of myths, so so people get a better grasp of what it is. Can you take us through a little bit, just in layman's terms, kind of what's going yeah. on in the brain, what's going on with, yeah. um, you know, <clears throat> neurotransmitters and stuff like that? <clears throat> Pardon me. So, yeah. So the neurotransmitter that most people have heard of when it comes to ADHD is dopamine, mm -hmm. but it's not the only one that's involved. The way in which the brain works is that there is 100 billion neurons or nerve cells in the brain. There's lots of other cells as well, but those neurons speak to each other chemically. So there's this tiny little minuscule gap between two neurons called a synapse. Mm -hmm. And in order for one neuron to pass a message to the other, it uses a chemical called a neurotransmitter. And that chemical gets released, it binds to a, a bit like a lock and a key, it binds to its specific receptor, and then that signal passes on. What we know about ADHD brains is that we don't have the same activity of those brain chemicals, those neurotransmitters, as well as those structural changes. So first of all, we know that children with ADHD, on average, not everybody, have brains that are about 5% smaller. And a lot of that difference in size is in an area called the prefrontal cortex, the bit at the front that governs a lot of the things that in ADHD we struggle with. We don't know if that's true as adults because we do tend to catch up, but we do know that these areas are less active. And a lot of <clears throat> ADHD behaviors, particularly when it comes to focus, are because our dopamine and our reward system is a little bit scrambled. So when you... The best way I can describe is I'm a Liverpool fan. That sense, if we get a penalty, and I can see Mo Salah stood waiting to run up, that sense of anticipation mm. is a dopamine-driven anticipatory reward. It's almost as good as, as when the goal is scored, or definitely not missed. And what we know is that that's, that anticipatory reward um, is different in people with ADHD and reward in general. So our brains seek out 
small, short-term, little rewards rather than long-term, bigger rewards. Mm-hmm. So as an example, um, just at the start of lockdown, we we bought a load of paint. So we thought, yeah, let's paint the house. It's a chance to make the house look nicer. And also, the, you know, buying stuff is... When you've got ADHD, there's an anticipatory reward yeah. with that. We still haven't painted the house, obviously. Now, the re- the big reward there is having a house that looks really nice and well-decorated, but the short-term rewards that are in the way of that are going on my phone, uh, checking Instagram, uh, you know, watching something on television, and our brain will direct us to those small short-term rewards, little bumps, if you like, of dopamine mm-hmm. that help give us that inner peace. It's not often about kind of risk taking because the internal, if you like, monologue or dialogue in an ADHD brain is just loads of thoughts and and noise and bees in your brain. Dopamine reduces that a bit. So the reason that, you know, people with ADHD will often be seen on their smartphone is because their brain is directing them to go on their smartphone. So many of our behaviors are because the, the levels of these brain chemicals, these neurotransmitters or their activity isn't the same as in a non-ADHD brain, particularly when it comes to that kind of focus and, and inattention part. Got it. Which is why the medication, when it works for people, and we can talk about how often it does, um, mm. effectively, we, we talk about this, I think you call it paradoxical calming, where you take mm. a stimulant, but you actually feel calmer because you're getting higher levels of dopamine and norepinephrine and neurotransmitters that we're low on in the brain. Is that is that correct? It, it, it is, yeah. So I think we're going to talk about this a bit later. You know, I dabbled heavily in cocaine for 30 years let's put it that way Mm. and one of the things my psychiatrist asked me at diagnosis was do you take any illicit substances and i I was honest and i yeah i kind of gave the list and my psychiatrist who was brilliant actually said tell me how you feel when you take cocaine Mm. and i said calm i said actually actually compared to normal i can sit down and chat to people and listen to them and really pay attention to them and he said that's great because stimulants will work for you and that's because cocaine causes a massive release of dopamine. Mm-hmm. The drugs which we use to treat ADHD, there's two types. There are the stimulants and there's one non-stimulant. And the stimulants, as the name suggests, are related to things like amphetamines. In fact, one of them is amphetamine. And what they do at a low dose is they increase the amount of, of dopamine in the brain and other neurotransmitters, noradrenaline. Um, and that slight increase it doesn't give you the kind of the rush, the euphoria of taking an illicit substance, but it just gives your brain what it is missing, which is sufficient levels of those neurotransmitters. So the brain works in a more functional way. And the non-stimulant kind of does the same. It's a bit like an antidepressant in that it also regulates neurotransmitters. So that paradoxical calming is actually really important because many people think of ADHD as, you know, I, we're all risk takers. We're all looking for that dopamine rush yeah. because it makes us, ah, but actually, no, a lot of us just want a bit of internal peace, just want to be able to sit down and not constantly be feeling like, well, I've got to do something and where, where can I go? Who can I speak to? So that paradoxical calming is a big part of the effectiveness of the stimulant medication. Now, in terms of the meds, 80% of people with ADHD respond well to medication, whether it's a stimulant or not, and 70% respond well to stimulants as the first line and that does leave 20 percent. so there isn't at the minute a medication for those people but there are other therapies talking therapies which can help like cbt so it's a it's difficult for people in that situation but for the vast majority medication really does help yeah it's worth hanging here for a minute as well i think because 
it'd be really interesting to hear your what the statistics are around people with um, alcohol use disorder or substance use mm. disorders. Because um, I think for me, when I look, when I went for my diagnosis, I'm currently getting blinded by the sun. Everyone, I thought I'd got away with the clouds today, but it's been very uh, yeah non British and bringing the sun out. Um, I got. Um, I was really curious to see, oh, hang on a minute, there is a pattern. Every point in my life where any structure fell away, I fell to pieces. So I, I look at when I went yeah. to university, fell to pieces. I look at when lockdown came around, fell to pieces and had to put my life back together and learn a lot. And I'm really grateful that during lockdown, I was alcohol free. I have been for years and years now. But previous to that, I mean, I literally, my support network was drugs and alcohol. And I think for many mm. people tuning in, we have this, a lot of people will maybe even be like I was, oh my God, do I want to try those medications? Like I used to have a real thing for kind of like recreational stimulant use, but actually for many people, and I, th I believe there are studies to show this in, in children as well, that those who are introduced early and get yeah. help are actually less likely to, to develop yeah. use disorders. Is that, yeah. Yeah, it's true. There, there's lots of very interesting statistics. So the, the first thing I'll say is as, as a charity as an organization <clears throat> and personally we we never kind of demonize any substance use because for some people it is literally about getting through the day sometimes with adhd there's there's a thing which it's not a real diagnosis but alex my my colleague on the, the podcast and the charity he came up with this concept of what we call domestic anxiety and that is that when you get to the end of a working day or get to a weekend and you've got ADHD and all of a sudden there's no structure, you're not doing anything, anxiety levels can go through the roof because your brain is, again, screaming, do something. Why are you sat down? You know, ah, just get involved in an activity. But at the same time, you can't because you've got ADHD. So many people will use substances to switch that off, to just stop that internal restlessness, to, to self-medicate effectively. And what that means is that if you look at the statistics and about there's a recent study actually which said that half of um 20 to 39 year olds with ADHD have had a substance use disorder during their lifetime half just over wow. half in fact which is which is startling yeah we know that this is one of the issues that people often, when they first go to a GP, go with. It might be that they've got a gambling addiction or they they're using substances for example, and obviously the way in which that would be viewed or treated is, okay, well, well, we'll refer you to an addiction service and that will help. But what very rarely happens is that a, a GP, and I'm not GP bashing because they're incredible, the job they do is wonderful, but they're not really trained to stop and think, hang on a minute, is there an underlying reason for this substance use disorder? You know, it, it, Could it possibly be ADHD? Mm -hmm. So many people end up for years going down different health, medical pathways and treatment options, whereas actually at the, at the crux of it is ADHD. We know, generally speaking, that people with ADHD tend to binge drink more. We know that about, if you look at the other way around, so if you look at people with an alcohol or substance use disorder, 25% of those have ADHD. And it even goes into things that aren't uh, substances. So smartphone addiction, whenever you use these terms addiction for things that aren't in the diagnostic statistical manual, the, the, the psychiatric, if you like, Bible, often people say, well, it's not a real addiction, but actually there's good evidence that it is. And we know that there's increased smartphone addiction in people with ADHD. So there's this complex set of circumstances where particularly in late diagnosed ADHD adults, so people like me that get to middle age, 
And lockdown was a massive driver for this. All of a sudden, imagine you've got ADHD and your brain seeks novelty and you're sat in the same room of the same house with the same person for months on end. That was when a lot of people suddenly realized, what? what's going on? I can't cope with this. This is, you know, my brain's screaming at me. And therefore, lots of people get to a point in their life, as I did when I got diagnosed, and then look back and go, oh, right. So that's why I used substances for, you know, a lot for a very long time because in my case it was a mix of impulsive behavior but also just self-medicating just wanting my, my brain to be quiet just just for a short while because it's incessant the 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 direction you get from your brain to to do something to keep active to not stop and, and you know anything that's switched that off for me personally and for many adults with adhd is is something that people choose it was definitely my pan. Anything that held the promise of switching that off slash curing yeah, me of my yeah. anxiety was I was addicted to, be it food, be it, you yeah. know, it was just the same pattern playing over and over again. Well, it's interesting. A lot of people who listen to this, man, they um, they will know um, a lot of the science behind how alcohol works in the brain and body in particular. And so they'll know mm. about kind of the witching hour. We talk about this, this period of time at night where our body's used to that dopamine dump and it's kind of a phantom saying, it's not what we want, but the body's going to give yeah. you that. So this yeah. on top of that, I imagine does make things, you know, tricky. And so it's, if there is anybody out there, I guess one thing I'd just love to very quickly, I don't know if we can quickly summarize, if there's anyone tuning into this and thinking, goodness, this could be me and I didn't mm. know this, or I've had an inkling and I've been thinking about it. You know, there's these two sides to this, right? There's the kind of inattentive side and the, and the hyperactive side, and it can be a combination of both. Um, yeah. Where would you direct people to go to have a look Um you know, if they're thinking, oh, I'd like to go and at least see if this is me or where yeah. would you point people? I'm going to I'm going to absolutely and blatantly steal um, what you said about um, people with autistic spectrum conditions. And that is if you've met one person with ADHD, you've met one person with ADHD. So it's yeah. really important. Many people are finding out about ADHD from TikTok, for example. Yeah. And there was a recent study which suggested that about 50 percent of the content on there about ADHD is incorrect in mm -hmm. some way. And it's really important to understand that you don't have to be both inattentive or hyperactive. So if you don't recognize any of the hyperactive symptoms, don't think, well, I can't have ADHD because there are three presentations, purely inattentive type, which is about 30% of adults, mm -hmm. combined type, which is where there are issues with attention and hyperactivity slash impulsivity. That's about two thirds. Mm -hmm. And then there's a tiny little group who just have the hyperactivity impulsivity. So that's the first thing is, if you're looking and hearing things and and most of it sounds like you, but a couple of bits don't, that's absolutely fine. We are not all the same. If you suspect you might have the symptoms of ADHD, if you just Google ASRS um, test online, there are a number of different websites that have this test. This is the, if you like, pre-screening questionnaire that sees whether you've got the symptoms of ADHD. And the ASRS test is about 90% accurate in telling you if you have the symptoms now the symptoms are one part in terms of diagnostically there are a couple of other you know hurdles you have to get over one you, you must have had the symptoms as a child which for some people is difficult to evidence if you don't have school reports or if your parents mm -hmm. aren't around but sometimes just your narrative recollection that yeah i was hyperactive or i was a bit daydreamy you need to have had the symptoms for more than six months as an adult and the symptoms have to be, you know, screwing up at least two parts of your life. Mm -hmm. So my advice, if you're at that point where you're thinking that sounds a bit like me is do an ASRS test online. 
it will tell you how many symptoms you've got and, and whether there's an indication you might have the symptoms. And if you do, make an appointment with your GP and talk about it. Talk about the fact that you've got the symptoms now. Talk about how they're affecting your life and ask for a referral to be assessed by a psychiatrist, which is where it gets really complicated. Awesome. Thank you. Right. Now, I'm very aware that there's two guys here with ADHD trying to have a linear conversation that makes sense. So is there anything else that we need to cover before we dive into kind of a bit more of the myths and that kind of stuff? Is there anything else important to you that you feel like you need to say at this point? Yeah, <clears throat> just that we know that there are structural barriers to getting a diagnosis, you know, and that is, again, I am not bashing any healthcare professionals, but we know that at pretty much every level, a lack of training understanding can be a barrier to you getting a diagnosis. If you genuinely feel that you have ADHD and you go to a GP and you hear one of those myths, like, listen, you know, you work, you work in the banking sector. You yeah. can't have ADHD. Don't just take no, you know, you can sometimes ask for a second opinion. You can challenge that opinion because for some people that can mean not getting a diagnosis or getting a delay. I was, I mean, I was told that in Merseyside here, um, I, w I went and did the journey privately. I was told that it would be between five to 10 years to try and get any kind of appointment with people, which is, I mean, that's just where we are right now. And that's, um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a big thing for people, right? Cause this is life changing. It's huge. It's hugely yeah. life changing. So, and the whole process is ableist because you have to fill in a really long form yeah. where you answer 36 questions. Now, I, I, so I'm positive for 14 out of the 18 symptoms, but it should have been 16 because I couldn't be asked to fill the form in anymore. It was so unrewarding for me to sit and type in that form. that I was getting up every five minutes and walking off. When it got to the last couple of questions on hyperactivity, I just put not applicable. I couldn't. I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. So that, having to remember when your appointments are, having to not have anxiety on the day of an appointment, all of these things are actually barriers to us getting help. Yeah, I think this is probably a conversation for a different day, but I don't know enough about the, you know, how if ADHD is protected as a, you know, as a disability, what, what you're allowed to request at work. Like, tell yeah. us a little bit about that, because I think I'm, I'm really curious yeah. to know. So ADHD is protected under the 2010 Equalities Act if it impairs your ability to work in the way that you want to. Mm -hmm. And that means that you you have a legal right for your employer, and if you're self-employed, equally you have that right as well, um, for reasonable adjustments to be made in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Now, reasonable adjustments is quite a grey area, probably deliberately, but that could mean that you are provided with software to help organise you. It could be that you're provided with noise-cancelling headphones if you're in a noisy office environment. It could be that there's a space at work where you can go if you're struggling with anxiety just to to kind of to calm down sadly what you'll find is that most employers hr departments do not have an up-to-date and effective plan for people with adhd you'll see guidance that says things like your employee will be able to work hard and hyper focus which just isn't true you can't pick and choose what you hyper focus on but there is and this is just quickly really importantly there's a government scheme called access to work and access to work is a very sh short form to fill in online and it will provide the funding for those reasonable adjustments. So you get assessed by someone, they write to your employer saying, your employer needs this £10,000 worth of stuff, whether it's software, ADHD coaching, and we'll pay for that. And what you generally find is employers say, yeah, all right. Yeah. Whereas before, when they had to pay for it, it's, oh, I don't know about this. So access to work is definitely worth looking into. 
is there support for people who are self-employed or entrepreneurs or because i know many access, you know is is that a thing as access well? yeah access to work covers that as well so okay. so effectively it means that the department for work and pensions will pay for reasonable adjustments to help you be as effective in the workplace as um other individuals or at least be more effective in the workplace yeah i think so so few people know this that's um mm. i mean i didn't know that it's really interesting thank you for sharing I know. So we're going to I know I said to you when we were chatting before, I'd love, love, love to talk to you about some of the voices out there and particularly in and around trauma, which many of our listeners will be interested in. But before we get there, we've spoken about the kind of some of the myths around it's not down to mm. bad parenting. Um, you know, what what else are the really important things? What would you just like to clear up for people? So th there are a few things that are really important and some that are less important, but are quite informative. There are many um, biases and um and issues that mean certain groups struggle even more to get a diagnosis if you think back to that adhd as a disorder of young boys mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons that the diagnostic rates in children are nine boys for every one girl wow and that means that many many girls grow into women not knowing they've got adhd just mm -hmm. thinking that they're lesser and that they're anxious and that they struggle and what we find is, and this is another kind of, this is a biological inequality, is the three M's, men are, menstruation and menopause, mm -hmm. when sex hormones in women tend to change, can make ADHD symptoms worse because the main female sex hormone, estrogen, regulates dopamine. Mm -hmm. So many women, it's when they get to perimenopause that they suddenly realize something's not right. This isn't just perimenopause. So it's really important for women to feel empowered to go and ask about this because you are just as likely to have ADHD as a man. There's no biological split between males and females. Other other quite damaging myths are that it was invented by pharmaceutical companies to make money, you know, and that comes a lot from the kind of 1980s Ritalin image of, of children being um, yeah. you know, turned into robotic automatons. And so that defined. feeds into... Yeah, exactly. And that feeds into medication hesitancy now i i found out i probably had adhd almost 10 years ago when alex phoned me up and told me he'd been diagnosed and he said you're more adhd I than I am. Saying, yeah yeah and we had a good laugh and i did the tests and if you've done an asrs all my boxes were on the right all my ticks were on the right hand side and i thought oh okay and then i did nothing with that information mm. partly because and this is so contradictory i don't know if i'm allowed to swear on this podcast Mate, you can really say whatever the fuck to... you like we swear we've done we're terrible Sam, here I fucking, I loathe myself with the intensity of a thousand burning suns, but I thought I don't want to take medication that changes me, which is ridiculous. I hated myself and still do in many ways, but I thought, yeah, but what if it, what if it, you know, turns me into someone else? So I was medication hesitant and many people were. So for years I didn't engage. And when most people do take medication, they just go, oh God, is that, is that what it's like to not have ADHD or why wow, all of a sudden I can do things. So, so this myth that medications were kind of invented to just prop up pharmaceutical companies, it's just not true. The medication really helps the majority of us. Thank you for sharing that about, I reckon it's probably, I mean, I got really interested in this kind of stuff a long time ago and a couple of times I thought, is that you? But then I basically went down there, obviously not because you've got a degree three, the, all this stuff. Right. Yeah. And it's really funny when I went to get my diagnosis, which was only last year after having basically knowing, having known this for a long time or been very curious about it. Um, the thing I said at the end of the thing was basically a brilliant, but I don't want to take medication. Mm. And the psychiatrist in a very kind, but stern way, basically gave me a bit of a dressing down. <laughs> it's like, why? Like what's, so we had a conversation about it and I found what works for me with it. 
Um, and mm. I don't, you know, it's like we've said before, it works for the, for most people. It's not for everybody, yeah. but, but writing it off or being, see, I think there's nothing wrong with being skeptical about these things, looking yeah, for evidence, and, but being cynical about it, being trained to be cynical by the media is a fuck up. That's a massive mistake. It, it, it is. And it, and it plays into this really weird. <laughs> it's really weird that lots of people think, which is, don't trust pharmaceutical companies, but I'll take supplements for it. Yeah, and they'll sure. they'll read on a Facebook for the big one at the minute is Lion's Mane. You'll probably have seen adverts for it on Instagram or Facebook. There is literally not one single scientific study looking at the effectiveness of, of Lion's Mane in ADHD. And what people forget is everything's a chemical, mm. whether it's yeah. been produced in a lab by a pharmaceutical company, which is tightly regulated and safety is checked, or whether it's made by a company shoved in a bottle and put on a shelf in the supermarket where it is not regulated and checked because supplements aren't regulated and the side effects and the interactions with other drugs are unknown. People tend to think there's a difference between the two and therefore to, they would like to veer towards a more natural remedy. And I totally get it. It's okay to be medication hesitant. Nobody can force you to take medication. Mm -hmm. But my advice, as you've just said, is, is to consider it, is to think about it because it can change lives. Got it. Yeah, I mean, there's just been so much of a media storm around this, around the smart drug thing and the fact that they, you know, mm. the students using them and this kind of thing. Um, but it's just clouded it. It's just got in the way of um, a lot of people who need help. And it's really interesting to me and that you say, you know, such a small, such a large percentage of adults are, are not diagnosed. And yet a lot of people mm. I hear all the time, oh, everyone's got fucking ADHD. Now, there was <laughs> that guy wrote, a, I read an article by an Australian journalist a few months back, yeah. I think. And I was like, whoa, was like this guy, I think it was. Yeah. And I was, yeah. I was like, that's not, that's just opinion. That's so, just pure opinion. It, it, it is. And this, so we'll, we'll, I know we're going to talk about books in a bit. So that one of the interesting things, ADHD is now on the agenda, and that means journalists are writing articles about it. But this is not to criticise journalists; it's largely the, new, the news organisations they work for, mm. because print media is pretty much dead. Uh, web traffic is what brings in revenue, and therefore, if you write an article that says ADHD is really difficult to live with, and we need to support it better, no one's going to read it. But if you write an article, and that article was entitled "I'm not a doctor, but um, I'm pretty certain you have ADHD," and in it, it just basically said it's just so easy to get a diagnosis. I just spent ten minutes chatting to my psychiatrist, and I got diagnosed. First of all, that it was an Australian article that was reprinted in the UK, and it didn't say that it was an Australian article. So right. straight away, people are saying, it's easy to get a diagnosis. I've been waiting three years and, and haven't got one. Yeah, And that that opinion, those opinions out there are really damaging because, again, it stops people from either seeking a diagnosis or it, it makes them question their diagnosis. And for that massive, huge group of people who have the symptoms of ADHD and probably are an undiagnosed ADHD adult, sometimes that one news article or that one opinion that's shared online is enough for them to say I, I probably don't have it yeah and it's i mean this is the power of like critical thinking and it's a, it's a mm. you know teaching our teaching everybody to be able to go out there and look for their look, i'm always looking for conflicting stuff as well looking for the truth and well look yeah. here's i want to frame this right because i don't because it's it's important for me to frame this right because i was talking to you previously about so i mentioned actually gabo mate's name and i was saying mm. about you know the books um i think it's um is it scattered minds Scat i think scattered minds original. yeah 
And, yeah. you know, his opinion, my read on it was that basically, look, trauma definitely has something to do with this. And Gabo Mate has clearly done a huge amount of positive work to bring that into mm. society. And people are now talking about it. I know a lot of people have been touched by his books and his work. Having said that, I always describe it as like a trauma tunnel where it's like, like, it's only that it's 100% that it's like a silo and it doesn't let anything else in. And then and, and it seemed to me that, I don't know, my read on it, you know, far more than me, is that trauma definitely has a has a part to play. It's a part of many people's um, ADHD story. However, to say it's that that it isn't hereditary, to say that it, you yeah. know, that the, that the studies are wrong, to say that it's truly just transgenerational trauma, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'd love to hear your read on that. So, again, coming back to the idea of if you met one person with ADHD, etc yeah it's completely understandable that if somebody with adhd has had trauma in their early life and then they read a book that says adhd isn't genetic it's, it's caused by trauma it's our response to trauma you would think oh my god that's me mm. and that's fine it's absolutely fine for you to think that but what generally happens is people then go and say adhd is caused by trauma like like it is for everybody and we know that that's not true now it is almost certain that trauma plays a role in at least some um, adults with ADHD's disease progression, if you see what I mean. What we know, though, from really big, really well-designed studies is that ADHD is largely genetic. That means that about 80 to 88% of the risk of you getting ADHD comes from your genes. And we know there are hundreds, possibly thousands of tiny little mutations in your genes, which collectively mean that your brain is likely to develop differently but it's not entirely genetic. There almost always has to be an environmental factor. The way I describe it is that your genes are like the, the, the wood and the petrol on a bonfire, and then the environmental factor is just the match that gets thrown on it, and then ADHD develops. What we know, again, from research is that deprivation can be that environmental factor, whether, whether it's kind of um, living in a deprived environment, whether it's deprivation in terms of, of, of food we know that exposure to some chemicals whether it's pre or postnatally can increase the risk of adhd and whilst the evidence for trauma it isn't there yet largely because it hasn't been looked for it's mm -hmm. an absence of evidence not evidence of an absence it's almost certainly true that for some people the trauma is what is the match on that bonfire it's the trauma that drives um the adhd process but this is why it's really important for people to to accept that whatever you think your adhd is that's fine you know if you, if you think it's driven by trauma that's fine but other people's won't be and therefore when people read books like gabor Marte's book and again it comes back to that critical thinking thing is most people read a book or a newspaper and think oh that's, that must be true without stopping and thinking oh is that true Gabor Marta, you're right, has done a lot of good for the, for the community. He's very good at writing. He is a psychiatrist and therefore, you know, he has expertise, but he has an opinion. And what yeah. he's sharing in his book is an opinion plus some case studies. And in terms of the, as a I spent 20 years as a scientist, when you, if you critically evaluate evidence, there are different levels of evidence and right towards the bottom is case studies. Sure. A case study is where you look at one person, you describe what you think happened to them. And therefore a, a collection of case studies is not strong evidence. We use an analogy of, uh, of bricks for evidence. Individual experiences or, or things happening are like a brick. 
Now, if you gather a load of individual experiences together, you've got a pile of bricks. Mm -hmm. If you plan in advance how you want to gather those bricks together, following certain rules and following the, the guidelines and making sure it's well structured, you have a house. And that's what the scientific approach is. You have to use statistical plans. You have to have a, a system of controlling for other variables. So the difference between a bunch of stories, which is a pile of bricks, and, ev and strong evidence, which is a house, is massive because you can't live in a pile of bricks. And whilst... Uh, you know, what Gabor Mate has written in the past will definitely resonate with some people. What he's done since is slightly more dangerous, in my opinion. So he's now been appearing on podcasts saying things like ADHD isn't genetic. It's caused by parental stress. Yeah. If your parents are arguing, then what happens is you tune out of that environment and then you decide to tune out in the future which is which is ludicrous what, what your brain forms differently because you decide to tune out of a stressful situation it's unlikely that again without that genetic predisposition the parental stress would be sufficient to make your brain develop differently possibly if you've got the genetic side of things but he specifically says it's not a genetic disorder and that's wrong and that's you know going that step further is again what diminishes people and and spreads you know falsehoods and mistruths I'm so glad we got to have this chat, man. I mean, I think I've probably spent, I mean, hundreds of hours hyper-focusing on ADHD, surprise, surprise, when I got mm -hmm. into it. And I knew, because I knew it was important. And uh, yeah, it's just so nice to talk to someone who's got such a measured and, you know, well-researched opinion that's backed up with science. Because, you know, you hear about these amazing voices in this field. You see um, um, Hallowell and Bark, and they're kind of disagreeing with each other. Mm. Some people say it's a gift. Other people would say that it wasn't. And to some yeah. people it may be, and to someone else it might not be. But I just, I do want to give, I'd love to, you know, as we wrap this up over the next sort of 50, 10 minutes or so, I'd love to talk about what the hope, like I can talk about a little bit for me about hope for people that yeah. with medication, with yeah. the right kind of help, this doesn't have to be this huge you know, it's difficult to struggle, but it doesn't, it can be worked with and it can become something very, very different for people. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's, was that the main reason behind setting up the charity that you wanted to kind of get the correct yeah. balanced information out? Yeah, it was twofold. The first reason was that when, as I was getting diagnosed and I was talking to Alex, my colleague, a lot, we realized there's just, there's nothing out there. You get a diagnosis Maybe you get given medication and then off you pop, go and understand your life. And there are websites like Attitude, which is very American. And therefore, you know, as a British person, maybe it's not so easy to consume. But there's there's nothing. You don't even get a leaflet. So we yeah. thought, <clears throat> let's set up, first of all, like an online support group through social media where we'll share good information. And then it took us three months before we started the podcast because we've both got ADHD, obviously. And we... What we agreed right at the start was two things. One, we will always be evidence-based with a little bit of kind of personal reflection yeah. related to the evidence base. And two, we will always authentically be ourselves. So we've never compromised on anything that we've done because it's important that our authentic voice comes through. But that evidence-based thing is important because, and I'll give you an example, and there will be somebody listening to this is going to get really fucked off now, and apologies for that, but... The whole strengths or superpowers of ADHD, is it's a contentious area. Mm. And what we tend to say is that it's, it's different for children and adults because you obviously don't want to say to a child, you've got a disorder, your life's going to be shit. So trying to frame ADHD as a positive in children, I totally understand that. In adults, <clears throat> you do tend to have these 
kind of two camps people that talk about adhd as a strength or a superpower you know have you discovered your adhd superpower yet Mm. well mine is not being able to make a cup of tea and crying that's those are my superpowers sam a bit like you seven seven goes to make every cup of tea (laughs) now so what's interesting is if you look at the specific strengths that people talk about when it comes to adhd the most common one is that we're creative that we're creative thinkers if you've got adhd and you mentioned russell barkley russell barkley is the father of adult adhd Mm -hmm. research nobody has done more for adhd than russell barkley and a direct quote from him which i'm going to get wrong so it's not a direct quote (laughs) is there is there is no evidence that as a population adults with adhd are more creative than the general population and therefore, it, it just isn't there. But what we know is that <laughs> some people will be with ADHD, will be creative thinkers or will think they're creative thinkers. Um, we're not very good at something called metacognition. So we're not very good at thinking about thinking. So some of us will think we're more creative than we are, but but not everybody is. And the way in which I describe this, and I can't remember if I use this analogy at Liverpool, is if it, if you think it's sunny where you are, and it is where you are now, Sam, I can see on the screen, if it's... Yeah. If it's sun, if it's sunny where you are, if you see your ADHD as a positive, good on you. I am genuinely happy for you, but don't tell someone where it's raining that it's also sunny there. Yeah, because the breadth of functionality in the ADHD community is massive, and those individuals that genuinely see their ADHD as a strength or a superpower normally either come from a place of privilege because they've got sufficient support and and upbringing, you know, for them to to use their neurodivergence. Um, and I've forgotten the second thing I was going to say, which is just so ADHD. It's amazing. Um, it's but okay. obviously, they're not considering the people living in a one-bedroom flat who can't hold down a job, haven't had a relationship in five years, have addiction problems because of their ADHD. Ask that person what their superpower is. Because what this does, this this kind of narrative, that, oh, it's strength, it's a superpower, is it makes people who are who have a lower quality of life, who are struggling, think, I'm not even doing ADHD right because I'm meant to have a superpower and I don't have one. So yes, some people will see strengths. That's great, but they shouldn't tell everybody else it's a strength. Yeah. It's yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think for me, one of the biggest things that's been very powerful, and this would be a lovely place for us to kind of leave this um, was outside of the kind of almost like um, neurological kind of reality at the level of the Mm. brain and neurotransmitters, what we can do in terms of the, you know, rejection sensitivity, working with our thoughts. I mean, I spoke to you about me and the kind of what I deem to be the spiritual journey, but really it's, it's knowing that, you know, I'm not defined by this. Like this is something that I've, that I have, and I've struggled with. And sometimes I struggle with it more than other, than, than other times, but actually who I really am is much, much bigger than that, much, much deeper than Mm. that. And actually the very things that it's interesting to me, man, because the very things we can work with, you know, maybe coaching around executive function or perhaps working with, they're the things that you know, they're actually, they make a big difference because now if I have an emotional wave, because mm. I understand it's safe and I know the nature of that, that's very different to previously. And and I know that you talk about, you know, one of the most important things being emotional acceptance of this as Absolutely. well and, and the profound impact that has. So I'd love to just to talk about that for a short while. It is. Yeah. On the podcast, we call it emotional acceptance, blah, 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 because we say it pretty much every episode. <laughs> but, but, one of the things that happens when you get a diagnosis is your whole identity changes. Yeah. For many of us, we've spent 20 or 30 years thinking, well, I'm shit. I can't do the things they can do. I'm a real flake. I'm forgetful. I'm unreliable. That builds low self-esteem, self-loathing. It contributes to some of the mental health issues that we have a higher risk of having, such as mood disorders and anxiety. 
And then all of a sudden, you're not those things. You've, you've got ADHD. And that means that you can view the whole of your life through a different lens. And you yeah. can look back and say, oh, God, that's why I did that. And that's why I do these things. But what you often find when you get diagnosed is you think you get worse. Many people report this. that I've got my diagnosis, but I've fallen apart. I'm doing more ADHD things. You're not. You're just noticing them. Because now you know what ADHD is. You're able to spot the things that you do are due to ADHD. And one of the best things that you can do in terms of just living a happier life and accepting yourself is genuinely emotionally accepting that you have ADHD and sometimes you will do things you do not want to do. You will react in ways you did not plan or want to react. And therefore, once you get to that point, it doesn't take away rejection sensitivity. It doesn't take away emotional dysregulation, but it does compress them down into a smaller window. And what I what I did, um, I call it totaming, which sounds like a sex act, but I have a bracelet on my arm. And, and at the first few stages of having ADHD, what I would do is when I when I overreacted or when I forgot something and I just started, oh, you dickhead, I can't believe you missed that meeting. I, mm. I can't believe you did. I would stop and I would touch it and I'd say, it's not you. Sorry, it's not me. It's my ADHD. And through repeating that kind of mantra and learning that when I did things that were due to, due to my ADHD, that I didn't have to hate myself because it's not my fault. You know, trying trying to engage in, in a task with ADHD is like putting your hand on a hot flame. You know, when people say to you, well, why can't you do that? You used to be able to. You just turn around and say, well, go and turn the hob on and put your hand on that hot flame because you can't physically move your hand there, but your brain will tell you not to. And that's what it's like. We, we don't control how our brain controls our behaviors and therefore accepting that will lead to less low self-esteem, less self-chastising, and will compress those little bouts of rejection sensitivity or emotional dysregulation into a much smaller window than maybe they, they would have been earlier on in your, your journey. That's really powerful. It reminds me, you know, very often we say to people, you know, if, if you have an alcohol use disorder that's really messing things up for you, it's not your fault that you became addicted to an addictive substance. That's how they fucking yeah. work. But it, but it's your responsibility to do something about it if you want to change it. When we say responsibility, again, it's not a blame thing. It's yeah. your ability to be able to respond to it rather than, you know, because it is hard. But if we think that there's there's nothing that we can do or if we've kind of innocently bought into that, yeah. then, then we're going to keep ourselves you know there's going to be things that we're going to miss and not understand and like for me an interesting pattern that happened and this is purely anecdotal from my experience but my partner thinks it's uh makes her smile as i've worked with and as my ocd is really settled and is sort of just mm. not kind of not really there now my adhd is just gone up and up and up because it was the lid that kept a lot of the yeah i don't know if that is kind of I'm, that's a metaphor but no. you know i don't no, know no, if that's no. common you, or yeah, yeah, I think you're describing unmasking. I think what you're describing yeah. is unmasking. So what one of the things that is common in ADHD is masking, because particularly if you are a late diagnosed as an adult, you will have hidden your symptoms in a number of different environments because mm -hmm. nobody at work, you know, wants to to think that you're completely unreliable or to to see the fact that you can't sit down during a meeting or, you know, understand or think of you as a really forgetful and useless person so we at the cost of our mental health hide our adhd symptoms we mask and then again what often happens with diagnosis is that mask starts to drop particularly in safe environments like the home and again what you then think is that well i'm, I'm doing more adhd things i'm more adhd than i was but no what you're probably doing is as i said firstly noticing those things because now you know what adhd is 
And secondly, as that mask drops, you'll just be allowing those behaviors to be more overt. And again, that can make you think, well, I'm getting worse. But actually, it's just about you feeling in that environment that it's okay for you to be you. Yeah, that's definitely a thing I started noticing, like, huh, have I always, do I always do that? And Robin was like, "Uh, yep. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think that's, uh, I know that we could literally talk about this for hours, for days. Um, And I know that this is a real you know i mean passion is probably not strong enough for you like i i can see that as as and so it's just so i'm so grateful to have you on and um thank you you know before we kind of do all of the where people can find your stuff you know remind mm. people of your podcast stuff is there anything else that you just think i've got to say this like is there anything else that people need to know yeah just really quickly and it's about the diagnostic side of things um there is a if you, and there's a big again inequality here. If you're registered at a GP practice in England currently, this may change in the future, but currently, you have a right enshrined in the NHS constitution to ask to be referred to any qualified provider. It's called right to choose. Now, in your area, you might be told, "Well, it's a three-year waiting list," or "We've got no service." Well, that means you can say to your GP, "Well, then refer me to." There are a number of providers, Psychiatry UK, ADHD 360. Mm-hmm. And at some of those providers, the waiting time is six months. Okay. Sometimes GPs aren't aware of this, but if you're registered at a GP in practice in England and they agree you need a referral, but they say, well, yeah, it's going to be a three-year waiting list, just say, no, um, I want to be referred by right to choose. And these organizations will literally have a letter on their website you can print out and show the GP. That's the last bit of really important advice. I love it. That's awesome. So, hey, like we said, go and tell people a little bit about your podcast, where people can find you, all that cool stuff. So, yeah, it's called the ADHD Adults Podcast. If you start listening to it or watching it on YouTube, it used to be called something else. But, you know, we've got ADHD. We got <laughs> bored with the name. Um, it's me, uh, Alex and Mrs. ADHD, my wife, three of us as hosts. Every episode each week is on a different topic related to ADHD. But obviously, we also have the charity. So that's ADHDadult.uk. There are loads of resources on there, including guides to getting support at work, including advice on how to to talk to your partner about having ADHD, because that's quite an issue. And then the last thing is we have an evidence-based online newspaper or magazine for ADHD uh, found at focusmag.uk and there are lots of articles explaining things like rejection sensitive dysphoria but with links to the studies so it's not opinion it's it's evidence this is what this is what science says so th- there's three resources the podcast um, the ADHD adults um, and on social media with the ADHD adults as well awesome I'm quite I'm quite impressed that we I, that feels kind of like nicely uh like we, yeah, yeah, we was... didn't go off in too many I know. I mean, that was incredible considering normally we'd have been, you know, talking about birds or in Alex's case, it'd be medieval castles. But yeah, we did. We <laughs> kept to a relatively linear track there. Yeah, we did. All right. Well, dude, like I, I really mean it. Like one of the biggest joys I have about podcasting is that I can go and be touched in, in, in an event like that and just send an email. And you know what? Yeah. It's it's not that everybody gets back, but I was so touched that you did in the way that you did and so quickly. And so a, a huge thank you. Um and no, yeah thank you thank, just thank you i you i mean i think you've guessed now this it's a really wanky term but this is now my quest you know to <laughs> to just help as many people so any opportunity for me to help people maybe understand themselves a bit better i'm really grateful for so thank you sam so there you have it two guys with adhd 
keeping pretty much on the line, managed to have some kind of structure to, to the conversation. I think we did all right, actually. Um, but what, what an amazing discussion and so many more things we could talk about. So if there is anything else that you'd like to know more about and you'd like to have James back on the show, then for sure, just reach out, let us know, come to the Facebook group, tell us what's up. And um, I will either reach out to James and talk to him and get some information that I can pass on. Or, of course, we'll get James back onto the show um, if there's something that uh, that we really want to talk about. But, um, yeah, uh, as I say, a very, very highly requested episode. And um, I'm just so pleased that we finally managed to get it out there. So um, awesome team. Have a great week and we'll uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs>